morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to our Remembrance Sunday service, especially members of our family and friends who are joining us from across the country and around the world. Our service will be led by our minister, Katrina, and we'll also hear the voices of Elaine and Graham and Leo. We'll be singing along with recordings of our hymns again, so we'll hear Paul on keyboard, Neil on trumpet, and Yang Yang on violin. And in just a few minutes, Freya and Sarah will light our candle. Just a wee reminder to the members of the worship group that there's a meeting immediately after this service. And if you would wait behind in the main meeting rather than going to the breakout rooms, that would be really helpful. And a wee reminder too to parents that at 4.30 Bible class meets so look out for the invitation to Bible class just before 4.30 this afternoon. At 7pm this evening, we gather for evening worship when Rebecca Gebauer will lead our service, also on the theme of remembrance. Just a couple of things on family news. Ed, it's lovely to see you this morning and we really hope that you're feeling better. And we ask still for you to remember Holly and George. George is still self-isolating and will be for another week. So please remember them. Next Sunday, we return to our usual time of 11 a.m. for morning worship when Katrina will be swapping pulpits uh, with the Reverend Ruth Goldborn of Grove Lane Baptist Church, but neither will actually have to leave their own homes to do that. Uh, but it will be lovely to see Ruth who of course preached uh, when Katrina came to Hillhead and then uh, when she celebrated her 10th anniversary. At 7pm next Sunday, it will be a special service for Glasgow churches together and uh, we look forward to that. So Freya and Sarah, it's over to you now to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day. Our call to worship comes from John chapter 15. Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends.
And so we come to our act of remembrance and we're doing it in the traditional hillhead fashion that we've developed over a number of years. So in a moment on your screens will appear the words of the act of remembrance. Um, I will read the words in yellow and you're invited at home with your mics muted to join in the responsive parts, the congregational parts. And then we will go into the two minute silence, which as again is our custom and practice is marked by uh, seeing the names of those who are recorded on our memorial plaques. And at the end of that, we will hear the choir singing, they shall grow not old. We are in the presence of God. We commit ourselves to work in penitence and faith for reconciliation between the nations that all people may together live in freedom, justice and peace. We pray for all who in bereavement, disability and pain continue to suffer the consequences of fighting and terror. We remember with thanksgiving and sorrow those whose lives in world wars and conflicts past and present have been given and taken away. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them.
And now let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. God of all ages, as we gather this morning to worship you, we call to mind your steadfast faithfulness, that in every moment of every day, whether we are aware of it or not, you are with us, sharing our experiences. God of all places, here with us now, wherever we are. We thank you that you are also present in places we will never go. That in every moment of every day, whether anyone is aware of it or not, you are active, working the work of redemption and recreation. God of all things, unconfined by human categories and labels, we rejoice in your liberating love for us, that in every moment of this service, as we worship, as we remember, as we listen and as we pray, you delight in us and refresh us for our own continued lives. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
It's probably fair to say that for most ministers, Remembrance Sunday is the one we lose the most sleep over because it's difficult for so many people for so many reasons. And so I wanted to start off this morning by looking at some pictures and telling you a little bit about the story of these images. They're both things that I have seen in the last 12 months or so. And the first of them, it's not the Hillhead logo, um, it's this. This, um, as many of you will know, is the Italian chapel on Orkney. And I have to admit, until I visited it just over a year ago, I'd never even heard of it. And it was only later that I began to explore its story and discover a little bit more about it. During the Second World War, a large number of Italian prisoners of war were transported from Egypt to the Orkney Islands, where they were put to work building the barriers designed to prevent vessels passing through Scapa Flow. I kind of vaguely remembered the barriers and Scapa Flow from history lessons at school, but I had no idea that these were built by prisoners of war. Many of these prisoners of war were practicing Roman Catholics and the priest asked for permission for a building, a Nissan hut, to be set aside for worship. And the camp commandant agreed to this, and in fact two Nissan huts were joined together. And among these prisoners was a man whose name, which I'll probably mispronounce, so I apologise, was Domenico Ciocetti, who came from a place called Moena in the north of Italy. When he was a boy, his dream had been to be an artist, but it, it wasn't possible. There just wasn't money for that sort of thing. So he trained instead as a church painter. And it is he who is responsible for the beautiful frescoes that create a real sense of being in an actual Italian church. Having also had the joy of visiting Italy for the first time in the last couple of years, it really did feel as if I was in Italy, not on Orkney. And these prisoners were incredibly creative. They used the cans that had corned beef in them to make the filigree for the lamps. They used an old vehicle exhaust and some leftover concrete to make a font. When their prisoners left, the plan was to demolish the chapel along with the rest of the camp. And there is quite a bit of myth around this and it takes quite a bit of digging to find out who was involved. But there was a local man by the name of Thomas Thomason, who was a joiner, who worked for the company who were charged with demolishing the site. And he was really upset at the thought of knocking down this beautiful chapel. The kind of mythic version has him in his, his um, bulldozer crying poised to knock it down and unable to do it. I don't know that that's true, but certainly he was deeply, deeply distressed at the thought of destroying not just something that was beautiful, but also was a place of worship, for he too was a man of faith, a Church of Scotland elder. And so he asked permission and it, it, this was granted. 
it's not entirely a happy ever after story because the chapel did fall into disrepair for a long time. But Chiacetti was invited back at one point to help with the restoration work. And it is beautiful, a stunning, quiet and peaceful place to go and to remember. Back in February, which seems like a lifetime ago, I had a couple of weeks of sabbatical leave before that all kind of went by the wayside. And as part of that, I took a trip to Kelvin Grove Museum, a place I go often. And I usually go to see the Dali, I'd have to be honest. But on this particular day, I discovered, tucked away in a corner, this incredibly striking triptych. And I guess what drew me to it was not just its beauty, but the fact that it is quite clearly damaged. In the two side panels, there are chunks missing. And, and I wanted to find out more about this incredibly beautiful piece of artwork. Well, these three panels were actually created on flower bags by an Italian prisoner of war called Giuseppe Boldan. And they were used to adorn the walls of a mud chapel in Somalia where they were held prisoner. At the end of the war, they were released and, and the, they were sent home and the chapel did get destroyed this time. And as part of the destruction, these paintings were torn down and, and damaged quite badly. And in fact, you can see they, they've actually been cut. It's very clear, straight lines where they've been cut up. But somebody managed to rescue them and they handed them over to the officer in charge of the camp, who was a British man called Captain Alfred Hawksworth. And he brought them back home and he looked after them. And during the 1960s, he thought, you know, it would be really good to give these back. These belong in Italy with the people who created them. And he managed to keep in touch with quite a few of the former prisoners of war. So he wrote to them and they wrote back a beautiful letter. And you can see an extract from that on the, the plaques at the museum. But basically he said, we want you to keep them because it was your kindness and your graciousness enabled us to have this chapel with this beauty in it. And so he in turn donated these images to Kelvin Grove Museum, where you can see them. They are part of the fragile art collection, so they're not always on display and the light is quite dim. But beautiful, traditional Italian Roman Catholic Christian art, almost an icon that draws you into the wonder of God. And if you look carefully, you can actually see some of the huts in the background because like all good religious art, it sets itself with a kind of classic form, but in its own context. So imagine this is Mary and baby Jesus and a couple of angels in a prisoner of war camp. I did try to find out a little bit more about these four key men. And actually, without spending time that I didn't have, it was going to be impossible. The only one I found out anything about was Dominic, Domenio Cicchetti, who returned home to his small village in the north of Italy. He got married and he had a family and he lived a long, long life. Um, if you, you were to look him up on the Internet, there are quite a few tributes to him, particularly in the Scottish press at the time. But I guess what strikes me most about 
all of this artwork and these two stories is it's about how faith in adversity enables something beautiful to emerge. And so today we remember these men and we remember others like them. The first reading is from Isaiah. The Sovereign Lord has filled me with his spirit. He has chosen me and sent me to bring good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to announce release to the captives and freedom to those in prison. He has sent me to proclaim that the time has come when the Lord will save his people and defeat their enemies. He has sent me to comfort all who mourn to give those who mourn in Zion joy and gladness instead of grief, a song of praise instead of sorrow. They will be like trees that the Lord himself has planted. They will all do what is right, and God will be praised for what he has done. They will rebuild cities that have long been in ruins. The second reading is from Colossians. You are the people of God. He loved you and chose you for his own. So then, you must clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with one another and forgive one another whenever any of you has a complaint against someone else. You must forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven you. And to all these qualities add love which binds all things together in perfect unity. The peace that Christ gives is to guide you in the decisions you make, for it is to this peace that the Lord has called you together in the one body, and be thankful.
So it was back in February when I had this idea of using the image of the Lafarge triptych that I had seen at the art galleries within the context of the Remembrance Sunday service. I had no idea what I was going to do with it or where it was going to go, but it seemed to be interesting. And you know me by now, I'm always after a little angle to find, to explore. And then, of course, everything changed, didn't it? Lockdown happened. And of course, there are all sorts of renewed lockdowns and local restrictions throughout these islands and across the world. And it continues to be a huge impact on our daily lives. One day this week, I met up with one of my minister colleagues for a socially distanced coffee. I hadn't seen him since, oh gosh, probably a year ago in real life. Um, and we sort of chatted a bit and he said to me, well, so Katrina, what was your lockdown project? With all that time you had on your hand, what did you do? Well, I didn't have all that time on my hands. I was busy, but he had had time, he told me. He had, they'd been doing recorded services. Um, he, had a, he had a colleague, so they were sharing the recorded services and he, he found himself in need of something to occupy himself. And he'd begun to write a story, a novel. And he's in the process of writing a spy novel set in World War II, uh, which has something about Scotland and something about Canada in it. So there you go. What was nice was to see him come alive as he told me this. Um, he brightened up, he, he, he was clearly enthused by this project he was undertaking. And it got me thinking because I didn't have a lockdown project. I just kind of carried on doing what I do as best I can in a different way, because that was what we had no choice but to do. I did do a bit more crafting because that's something that brings me pleasure. And I did rediscover my, what for me is helpful to pray whilst sewing. And I am really looking forward to beginning work on the Hillhead Peace Quilt for which many of you sent me tea towels. But actually what's been more energizing and more exciting and more interesting for me has been to hear so many different voices on a Sunday. People who might've been a bit too shy, a bit too lacking in confidence to share at the front of the hotel where everybody can literally look at them, have taken their courage in both hands and have shared, they've read, they've led us in prayer, they've told us their stories, they've written incredible reflections. We've really had some amazing reflections, haven't we, on allotments, on animals, on um, prisons, on all sorts of different things. And they've all gone out of my brain as I tried to say it but really, really interesting reflections. And we've, we've learned to do new things. We've certainly learned to new, do new things. One of the things that I think has been good for me is that I can't do a 20 minute sermon anymore. Well, I could, but you'd all get very bored and switch off. So I've had to learn to do a shorter reflection around about 10 minutes, 15 at the most. And that's good because it means there's no place for waffle. I have to get to what I want to say, what I think God might be saying to us quite quickly. So what are these two passages then that we have for today? 
what might we deduce from them on this day at this time? I think the passage from Isaiah, which we know that Jesus used when he began his ministry in Nazareth, is full of hope and creativity. He says, I'm going to announce good news. So why would he say that? Presumably because the prevailing culture is bad news or sad news or even like our own time fake news. And so the creative, hopeful thing is to give good news. He says he comes to bring healing, which suggests that there is a culture and a situation characterised by struggle and sorrow, suffering and sickness. And he says, I come to bring freedom, liberation, which presumably means people were literally or metaphorically held captive, imprisoned or enslaved. Now, we all know that. We've all heard it countless times, and I'm sure you've heard many sermons on all of these things. But maybe it's good to remind ourselves that even in times of struggle, even in times of adversity, God is active. And there are glimpses of beauty, even in all the brokenness. I have to admit, I was I was sort of putting off writing this reflection this week because I was waiting for the results of an election across an ocean. Uh, and in the end, I just thought it may not happen. I'm just going to have to write something. But having looked at uh, stuff on social media, people are using that language of hope and, and light and new beginnings this sense that even in all the struggle, sometimes we are surprised by things that seem good. But what about that second reading from their book, Letter to the Church at Colossae? And I realise I have to be a bit tentative with this one because it could be heard as a tell-off and it absolutely is not a tell-off. I think it was when it was sent to the church who originally had it, they were not behaving badly, they weren't behaving brilliantly. But for us, it's absolutely not about telling off. It's not about saying, oh, you're not doing these things. Actually, it's about encouragement. You see, I think the men who created those beautiful artworks, the men who were compassionate to them and allowed them to create those beautiful artworks, were all inspired by the same faith and therefore had within them these same characteristics of being kind and gentle and patient and humble. And I, I can't help feeling it was these shared beliefs that actually enabled them to look beyond the fact that you're Italian and you're African or you're British or you're whatever, you're on this side and you're on that side, but actually to say we are human beings together. We all are made in the image and likeness of God. And it was that recognition, that hopeful way of looking that allowed this beauty to emerge. And yes, there is beautiful art that will last for many generations. And there are intriguing stories for us to tell. But for these men, there were friendships, deep friendships in some cases, that lasted the rest of their lives. 
and a shared faith in the God of hope and beauty and truth. And so perhaps today, as we remember and as we reflect, we too commit ourselves to be creators of beauty here and now.
Let's pray together. God, who is beauty, truth and love. Hear us now as we bring our prayers for others and for each other. You know how we struggle to find the words to pray on Remembrance Sunday. You know how tempting it is to say nothing rather than risk offence. Or to say something so simplistic that it trivialises the sacrifice of conscript and volunteer alike. And how we risk forgetting all about the impact on civilians, on animals or on our planet itself. Today, as we've recalled how prisoners of war created beauty in adversity, we pray for all affected by wars and conflicts this day. And especially for the people of peace, of hope and imagination, as they dare to be compassionate and kind, gentle, creative, and loving. BMS World Mission asks us to pray especially for the people of Lebanon, a beautiful land and a troubled nation. Especially we pray today for their work among children with additional educational needs as they seek to bring joy and to delight into these precious lives. The Baptist Union of Scotland draws our attention to neighbour churches in Rutherglen, South Beach Saltcoats and Sanka St Ninians. We pray for them as they seek to be salt and light in their communities, bringing joy and hope to those around them. In our own community, we pray this week for friends around the world who join us via Zoom and whose presence so enhances our community at this time. For those in countries where there are increased restrictions, we pray for comfort and creativity. And for those in the USA, we pray for hope as the outworking of the new presidential elections result continues to evolve. We also name before you from our prayer diary a number of our friends, knowing that you are with them in their day-to-day -day challenges as well as in the opportunities they face. And so we lift to you Paul Fraser and Helena, Lily, Clifford, Jean and Walter, Paul and Rico, Ailey, Leo, Katrina H and Ben, Rachel, Tamara, Hannah and Aaron. Surround each of them with your love and show them where hope and beauty may be found. 
Finally, we pray for ourselves. Each one of us is known and loved by you. That we who have sought to you here may know your peace and your protection in the days ahead. These things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Join together in the blessing. Lead us from death to life, from falsehood into truth, and may we keep through all our years the hopefulness of youth. From dark despair to hope, from fear to trust in God, from hate to love, from war to peace, keep leading us, dear God. Let peace enfold our hearts 
in peace our souls immerse, and may God's peace pervade the world, then fill the universe. Oh,